Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't feel equipped uh, to handle what needed to be faced? Maybe it was a little simple area. Uh, do this job, or maybe it was something a little bit more serious where you're thinking, man, this challenge, this difficulty is uh, just too tough. I'm on, guys, so I don't know if I can use it. I can do that. Raise your hand real quick if you've been there before. Have you ever been there in an area of life and just didn't feel like you had what it take to, uh, to handle or to face the situation that's in front of you? We're still not on. All right. All right. I remember uh, when we first started the church, uh, well, when we kind of came here, my wife and I, and uh, voted in by a few folks down at the little chapel on Clinton Boulevard, I, I remember we were kind of having this idea of maybe we would launch uh, a Christmas Eve service. It wasn't something the church traditionally did, and I thought, man, first year, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have like a little Christmas Eve service, and it's going to be great. And so. Uh, we got a little choir together, and we had some Christmas songs planned, and, and we had this really cool idea where we were going to have uh, these little candles, and so the choir would hold the candles uh, while they were singing. It was going to be this nice, you know, uh, Christmas-type, uh, you know, situation, and it was on a Christmas Eve, so it was an off day for us. I don't know, it was like a Tuesday or something like that, and so we had prepared this particular service, and, and we had changed the times so it wasn't at a normal time. I think it was like 6.30 or something. It wasn't something that we were used to, and I remember... I remember the day came and I was kind of nervous. Anytime we had something special going on, I would just get nervous because I wouldn't know exactly, you know, how everything was going to flow and how it was all going to work together. And uh, we're getting closer. And of course, uh, at that time, uh, we didn't have all the talented musicians we have now. Uh, all we had back then was just, we just had a little piano and, 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 and uh, we had a lady who would play the piano and things. And uh, that's all we had. And so if we were going to have music, you know, we had our uh, lady play piano, play, she'd play. And, and for whatever reason, as we were getting closer and closer to that Christmas Eve service, people were starting to trickle in and, and different people were coming. And uh, uh, the lady who was supposed to play the piano for this little special service didn't show up. I and mean, we had been practicing for this for like months, you know. It was something we were excited about. And sure enough, 6.30 comes. It's like 6.29, 6.30, and we have nobody to play the piano. So we got this little choir up there. We've got our candles already. We've got the music with the Christmas carols, but no, nobody to play the piano. And so I'm just really, I'm not, I was, at that time, I was young. I was just getting nervous about anything already. I'd get anxiety about just all kinds of different little things. And that was, that was enough just to put me into full-blown panic, you know. And so I'm looking around. And uh, Sarah Minerva's family, if you know anything about her family, you're like, there's like nine children or something in your family. And they're, every one of them are incredibly musical. Like they just all have this incredible musical ability. And I've known their family since we were kids. And I look out and I see one of Sarah's sisters sitting in the auditorium that day. And I thought, oh man, she, Sarah's maiden name's Averbeck. I said, man, she's an Averbeck. She's got to know how to play the piano. So I march over to her and I say, Amber, I said, you're going to have to play the piano tonight. And she says, I don't play the piano. I said, Amber, get up there and play the piano. It's a true story. She was like, what in the world? She marches up to the piano. And so sure enough, we start the service. It's a true story. We start the service, and the choir starts singing. And I'm sitting there on the front row, and they're singing this song. And I don't know what's coming from the piano, but it's not normal piano music. 
I hear this, you know, and it's like, okay, that was a little off, but it was kind of close, and then they get singing. We started going through this service, and I'm just thinking to myself, how could this possibly get any worse? And she was doing her best, you know, she's hitting chords that kind of sound right here and there and everywhere, and man, we, we, we trudged through it. There's other stories that go along with this. Nathan's in the background, Nathan's back here in the media desk right now, and he knows where I'm going with this story. He's already hanging his head in shame. He's got this little candle with his music, and as he's, you know, we're all up there. Somehow, as he's turning pages, his page catches on fire from the little candle. And so I'm over here. The choir's kind of trying to sing their song. The piano's, you know. All of a sudden, we got this pyromaniac in the back who decides we're going to light a Christmas fire, you know. I'm just like, I don't think I'm, I'm prepared to handle this situation. I remember after the service, I went up to Amber. I was like, so, so how'd you feel like it went? <laughs> She's like, well, number one, I really don't play the piano. <laughs> I thought you were in Amber. I thought all of you guys played the piano. She said, number two, when I sat down, I didn't even know the song that you guys were singing. She says, as, as if that wasn't bad enough. She said, as soon as the service started, you turned out all the lights. <laughs> I could not see the music. I could not see the keys. You didn't even give me a little light for the piano. I don't play the piano. I couldn't read the music, and there was no light. <laughs> She's like, I was not equipped for this situation. <laughs> I, I think all of us have been in situations before where we were like, I do not have what it takes to do what this situation requires. I think every one of us have been there before. But I want to remind you from our passage today, and I kind of, our, our theme for this morning is this, that, that God provides everything we need to thrive in our difficulties. We're going through a series right now, marching through the book of 1 Peter verse by verse, and we're just unpacking these uh, passages of the Bible, and today we're going to wrap it up in 1 Peter chapter number 5. And the series, as we've been seeing on the screens, is Thriving in Exile. And, and how do we, as believers, thrive in these seasons that are difficult? How do, we, how, do we, how do we go beyond just, like, surviving difficult times? Because, you know, you know some of us, we've got a lot of willpower. We've we got a lot of just kind of, we've got character, and, and we can kind of push our way through, you know, difficult, hard seasons. But how do we transcend just surviving hard seasons, difficult seasons, emotionally, you know, overbearing seasons? And how do we get to a place where we transcend that into thriving within the context of those times? And what we're going to see from 1 Peter chapter number 5, as Peter is wrapping up this book, this letter that he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that uh, Peter really shows us some resources that God gives us through the Holy Spirit to help us go beyond just surviving in our suffering and really begin to thrive in it. So here's my question as we get ready for our text this morning. I want you to think about this. Are you and I accessing the resources that God makes available to us by faith? And I'm going to say, honestly, I struggle at times to access all the resources that God makes available to me in my suffering. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to preach to myself today, and if anything I say helps you, then that's going to be a bonus, all right? Is that, does that work? 
And we're just going to march our way through 1 Peter chapter number 5. We're going to start in verse number 5. We'll read down through verse number 11. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. You're kind of like our honored guest. And in fact, I do want to tell you that right there in front of your seat, there's a QR code. It's like a sticker right in front of you. If you take out your smartphone, open up your camera, and just hold it there, you're going to see that this uh, URL pops up. You can click on it, and it'll take you to an app that'll allow you to give, uh, you know, more inf- get you more information about the church. It'll allow you to fill out a connection card so we can answer any questions that you have about the church and give you a little bit more information. For those of you who are regular, There are also sermon notes in there. So if you want to follow along through the Bible study and see some of the texts, that is also there available for you. And so, or I think they told me you can go to fresnochurch.info, I think is where you can go. If you'd rather type something into your smartphone, you can go there and that'll give you all of that as well. Uh, For those of you who are physically able, let's stand as we read from our text today, 1 Peter chapter number 5. We've been in this passage, this book, this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote for several weeks, and now we're going to kind of wrap this up. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 5. Uh, notice the middle of verse number 5. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, why? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word and how even thousands of years after you inspired these authors to, to pen these words of wisdom, they still are relevant in the day and age in which we live. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who access all the provision that you make available to us, not just to survive our suffering, but to really thrive in it, to overcome. And so, God, I pray that we would access by faith these resources that you make available so that we, Lord, can be a testimony to those around us and we can experience the abundant Christian life even in the midst of our storms our hardships, and our trials. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. So let's get right into our Bible study today. Notice what it says in the middle of verse number five. It says, clothe yourself. Here's the word. I want you to underline it if you have a pen. Humility. It says, clothe yourselves with humility one toward another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. There's a second word again. We see humility. We see humble. Then a third time in verse number six, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. We see this 
Humility, humble, humble, which leads us to our first thought this morning. What is this first resource that the Apostle Peter is trying to remind us of? If we're going to navigate seasons of suffering, if we're going to be able to not just survive, but thrive in seasons of difficulties and hardships and, and uh, uh, trials, how, what is it? What is this first resource that we have access to? First of all, I want you to write down the word humility. 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 There's a lot of confusion around what humility is. A lot of times we get this idea that humility is like having this negative self-image. We get this idea that humility is just, you know, having this self-talk that's like, I'm no good, and I don't have any abilities, and I'm, I'm awful, and I'm a horrible person. And we get this idea that if we have a lot of negative self-talk, that means I'm humble. And yet the reality is that that is not a biblical definition of what humility is. I, I like to say it this way. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's not like I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good as that person. Those people are way better than me. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is just when we think about ourselves less. You see the difference? One's like, oh, I'm nothing. The other one is just like, I don't think about myself a whole lot. I'm not always filtering what's happening, and I'm not seeing everything through a lens of how does this affect me, or we don't, we don't look at the details of life through, you know, how does this affect my future, or how does this affect my feelings, or how is this going to change my circumstances, or what's this going to do about this area of my life? See, if we're not careful, we start feeling, filtering every detail of our life through the lens of me. Well, if that happens, what's, what am I going to feel like in the future? If this happens, what is that going to do to my circumstances? What's this going to do to my family? What's it, how, and, and everything that we hear, we filter through a lens of self. Uh, humility, if, if you really want to get a, a, a real accurate kind of definition of what humility is, is, at least as it's biblically speaking, humility might be better defined as the art of self-forgetfulness. Humility is like the art of self-forgetfulness. That's where we come to a place where when, when we are truly humble, it's not like, oh, I'm a nobody and I'm awful and I'm not as good at that as those people are. And man, those people are way better than me. And man, those people's future is going to be great. Do you realize that that type of self-talk is just as much pride as having positive, ongoing, filtering everything through how awesome you are both extremes are pride humility is not either of those extremes humility is the transcendence where we say it's when, when things happen we're not filtering it what does that mean about me humility is the art of self-forgetfulness the art of self-forgetfulness you see, anytime we inject a sense of self-consciousness, insecurity, self-fear, self-want, we are personalizing the situation. We're seeing the details. We're hearing the words of others. We are, we're, we're projecting us into the situation. That's pride. Humility comes along and it's like free. And what does this mean for me? What, what do I want What's this going to do for my future? Like, humility is free from that. That's why James 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord. What does that mean? It literally means forget about yourself. Stop making everything about you and your feelings and how this is going to affect your future 
It, stop making it about you. Why? When you humble, you just you 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 forget about yourself in those situations. The Bible says then the Lord can come along and he just does what he does and he lifts you up. Because you know what I want to do all the time? I, I want to take all these details and I want to see like what does this mean about my future and what's this going to mean for my feelings and what's this going to mean? And then I want to take all those details and figure out how I can manipulate them and use them to make it better for me. <laughs> and God says, I want you to just forget about yourself. Just let me take care of it. Let me take care of your needs. Let me take care of your wants. Let me take care of your future. Humility is just not thinking less of yourselves. It's just thinking about yourselves less. That, that you don't consume your own thoughts. See, proud people just focus on themselves. That's the essence. Whether it's negative self-talk or positive self-talk, that's pride. So if you're always moping around and I'm horrible and my future's awful and this is going to be no good, that is pride. That's just as much pride as the arrogant person who's running around thinking, you know, they're all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> when you focus and you're, you're obsessed with you, it's pride. And can, let's just be honest. When we take those two definitions of pride, I think most of us would raise our hands and say, I'm a proud person. I know I am. And it's so hard to disassociate and not personalize everything that's happening in my world and not make it about me. And whether it's in a negative way or in a positive way, the reality is it's pride. Proud people focus on themselves. You know what humble people do? They're focused on others. How is this going to make that person feel? How can I love those people best? What do they want? What do they need? How can God work through me in their lives? Humility at its very core, how do you know when you're humble? Is when your life expression is lived for other people and their feelings and their wants and their happiness and their future. That is the, that is the expression of humility. And so you might think, I'm a pretty humble person, but if, the, if, if that's not the expression, the Bible says God resists the proud. He's going to resist it. He resists it when it expresses, expresses itself as negative self-talk and victimization of my life so horrible. He'll resist that. He also resists it when it's like, okay, how do I make my life better? How do I make my future? And it's all just about you. Both expressions of pride get resisted by God. But notice this. He gives grace. He gives special favor to those who are humble who have learned to practice the art of self-forgetfulness, not just on a conscious level, but on a subconscious level. Who just don't make life about them. What's the first resource that the Apostle Peter reminds us? If we're gonna, we're gonna thrive in our difficult times, you know the best first thing you gotta do is just forget about yourself in that situation. And I'm just telling you, this is, I'm not preaching this from a perspective of like, I'm an expert at this at all. <laughs> If, if anything, in this particular area, like I say with Paul, like I'm the chief of sinners here. I'm not, I am not communicating this from a, a posture or a position that I've figured this out. Because I haven't. But the Bible says it, so I'm going to echo it and feel like a little hypocrite as I'm preaching this to you, okay? So I thought I'd tell you just so, I think if I, if I tell you, then it's not being hypocritical. Humility. Let's go to the next verse. No, let's keep moving. What's the next resources that God makes available? If you notice in verse number five here, notice verse number five. 
Uh, let's go to verse 7, because we were in verse 5. Notice what it says in, in verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's a second resource that we have. First is humility. Humble yourself, self-forgetfulness. Number two, what's the second resource that allows us to go from just surviving in our difficult times to thriving in it? Number two, we've got to learn to cast our anxieties. Am I the only one who struggles with anxiety? <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, there's two of us. <laughs> rest of you guys, you can leave now, all right? We're just going to have a little, little counseling session. <laughs> casting all your anxiety upon the Lord. That word casting in the original Koinonia Greek Koinonia Greek, it, it's, that's, it's, a, it's, it, it's a, a continual present action, all right? So when it says cast, it's, it's literally this idea of continually in the present acting in this way. So literally it could be reading uh, a casting or continually casting. King James says casting, like con, in a continual way. This, can, I, can I remind you of something? When you're struggling with an anxiety, it's not just something you cast off once and it's done. This is something you have to like continually do, continually do, continually do. And depending on your personality, you might only have to do it like once a day. You got it? Uh, you do it once a day. Others of us, we have personalities where we have to literally sometimes do this minute by minute. It's like, oh, all right, I cast it on the Lord. And then one minute later, it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> I got it back. And cast it off again. And we're like, oh, here it is again. Cast it off. What does this mean? What does it mean to cast? Like in the physical realm, we know, I don't want to cast my Bible, but to cast it means to let go of it. So what does it mean in the spiritual mental realm? To cast something in this context means to stop thinking about it. Any of you struggle with overthinking? Obsessive, compulsive thoughts? It's like broken record in your head over and over and over. That's the opposite of casting. Okay? Like, how do, we, how do we go from just surviving in difficulties to really thriving? We've got to get to a place where by God's grace, we are able to literally let go in our minds. And, and this, there's, this is a personality trait, depending on how you grew up and the family you grew up in. Some of you, this is harder for you than others. Some of you, it's just easy, you know? It's, just, it's a simple thing. Just put it behind me, move forward. Others of you, this is incredibly difficult. You worry, and there's anxiety, and it's constantly going again and again in your mind. And the Bible says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let it go. I want you to cast it. This means that by God's grace, it is possible to stop obsessing about what's bothering, what's hurting, what's difficult, what's suffering. It's possible to let it go in your mind and just to stop. This is what it means to cast. It means to let it go in your focus, to stop focusing on it. And I'm telling you, I can't, I can't tell you enough how hard this is for me. Nick, I should have had you preach this sermon because I'm really struck. This is, this is like, man, I feel like I should be preaching myself. It's like a message of all the things I struggle with. <laughs> to let it go. So I don't know about you, but man, I just get bombarded and bombarded and bombarded. And I think, man, I've let it go. And then like five minutes later, it's back and I let it go. And five minutes later, it's back. And I let it go. And five minutes later, it's back. 
So to cast is to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to keep focusing and fixating on this. If there's something you want me to do, then I will do it. But can I say this? You never make anything better by just thinking about it, ever. At least go to somebody who loves you and at least on some level talk it out. Because it, that talking to somebody who loves Jesus and who has a biblical worldview, that in itself, that can be, a, that can be an opportunity for you to cast verbally. It's gotta be in the right context. Get a counselor, a therapist, a godly you know, friend. And, and talking can help. When you just have it mulling over in your head, I'm telling you, every single time, it will make it worse. You have never made anything better because you've overthought the thing. You haven't. Overthinking makes everything worse. Every single time. That's why the Bible says, cast it. Stop overthinking. Stop fixating. Stop focusing by God's grace through his power. So how do we do this? The reality is impossible just to stop. The biblical principle is replace. Your mind is going to be filled with something. And you know what? Pain grabs our attention. Difficulties grab our attention. So what you have to do, it's not just casting it off, it's replacing it with something sweeter, something better. And say, okay, I can't focus on that, but I can't just push it off, cast it, without replacing it with something. And so you choose in your mind, what am I going to focus on? What, am, man, what do I have to be thankful for? What do I have to rejoice in? What do I have to focus on that is good, that is positive? So we saw, first of all, humility brings us to the next idea, casting all your care upon him, why he cares for you. The second thing is, the second resource you have access to, not only humility, you have access, access to help. To help. He cares for you. He loves you. Can I say this? What you're holding on to might be the very thing that's holding you back. What you are holding on to in your mind, what you're fixating in on your focus, what you are holding on to is probably the very thing that's holding you back. And, and we get this idea, if I just fixate on it long enough, if I just worry about it enough, and we allow this anxiety, what ends up happening? We fixate and focus, and, and we think we're going to figure out how to solve this issue, and it just makes it worse every time. It's just what you're holding on to holds you back. What you're holding on to holds you back. What you're holding on to holds you back, and what I hold on to holds me back. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? It's causing worry and anxiety and stress and turning your suffering into misery. You can't let it go. You can't stop focusing on it. You can't stop fixating on it. We have the resource. Philippians chapter number four, verse six says this. Don't be anxious about anything. This is a pretty crazy verse. God's like, hey, you don't have to be anxious about anything. I'm just going to tell you, like, I can think of a lot of things I could use. I could be like, I, that justifies some anxiety. <laughs> like, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm kind of like, I, I, you know, it says don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, notice this with thanksgiving. This is the replacement principle. I want you to, pre I want you to replace, the way we get out, the way we cast the anxiety out is we replace it with prayer. 
with thanksgiving to God. Notice this. What happens when we replace it? What happens when we let go of, when we cast off the worry, we cast off the focus on the struggles and on the suffering, and we replace it with prayer to God saying, God, I can't, you can't, I, I surrender to you. I, I, I. Notice this. And then the peace of God, which passes understanding. You know why it's called peace that passes understanding? Because the peace that God's going to give you is not going to make sense to anybody else around you. They're going to look at you, and literally, they're going to be like, okay, the situation that you're going through right now, the thing, that it, just in the normal world in which we live, they would look at you and say, you're absolutely crazy for being able to move through this, because, like, how are you doing that? This isn't normal, because it's a peace that actually doesn't make sense in the world's economy. Because everybody else in the world would be like, you are totally justified to be stressed out about that. You have every right to get anxiety around that. That's a, that's, a, that's a horrible situation. And God says, hey, I don't want you to be anxious about that thing. Anything is that thing. Whatever that thing is for you falls under anything. <laughs> but replace it with prayer and thanksgiving. Why? Because God hates us and he's like, why are you focused? No, because he wants to give you something to replace your anxiety with. He wants to replace your anxiety with he has something better for you than your stress, your anxiousness, your worry. He says, I've got peace, but here's what you've got to do in order to exchange your anxiousness for peace. He says, I want you to come to me with prayer. I want you to cast, and I want you to just replace those focus and those thoughts with thoughts of thanksgiving. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. In everything. Man, I just know there's so many times where I'm like, this is where I'm at. I'm like, God, show me what I have to be thankful for in this situation. Recently, uh, a week or two ago, I wrote down like a list of 20 things I was thankful for in a situation that I was just like, okay, this is tough, but what do I have to be thankful for in the midst of this? Because of this situation, what's good about it? What's the silver lining? What what, even if I can't be thankful for the situation, what do I have to be thankful for in the situation? And I just started journaling it. Came up with 20 things. Why? Because I'm trying to get from anxiety to peace, and the way you do that is through replacement. Replacing with prayer. God, I can't, you can. Do for me what I can't do through myself. And God, help me develop a heart of thanksgiving in the midst of this. God has got to help. What are our resources during these times of difficulty? Number one, humility. Self, the art of self-forgetfulness. Pull yourself out of the equation. Focus on him, focus on others. Number two, the help that God gives when we cast on him. Number three, notice what verse 10 says. It says, and the God of all grace, who calls you into his eternal glory in Christ. Notice this, after you have suffered a little while, And yeah, I was reading that this week, and you know, I was, was kind of like, I don't like that. Like, I, I'm a Christian. Like, I try to do what God wants me to do in areas of my life. Why would God say, hey, you're going to suffer? But after you've suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong and make you 
firm and make you steadfast. That's what the scripture says. As you navigate this in that way, God says, you know what happens on the other side? He says, I'm going to make you strong by my grace. I'm going to give you an ability to be firm and to be strong and to be steadfast and persevere. You're going to have a resiliency that other people don't experience. You're going to have a resolve, a character, an ability to push through things that other people might not have because my grace is sufficient for you. He's the God of all grace. First Peter chapter number one, verse three says it this way. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, notice this, set your hope on grace. We brought to you when Jesus Christ revealed his coming. Notice that phrase right there. Set your hope on the grace. Which leads us to our third resource that God makes available this morning. I want you to see this. Not only do we see humility as a resource that helps us to go from surviving to thriving through suffering. Not only do we see God's help as we cast our care upon him. I want you to see lastly that we have his hope. The hope is Jesus. The hope is the grace that he makes available. Someone who once said it this way, you can endure suffering for years as long as you hold on to hope, but you'll hardly last five minutes without it. The moment you lose hope, you're done. You can go for years if you can keep your eyes on that unchangeable hope that's available in the grace of God. I'll say this to myself, but if it helps you, I'll say it to you too. I don't want to, like this thing that you're going through, this thing that you're in the middle of right now, this thing that feels so overwhelming and so all-encompassing and feels so overbearing, I want to say to you, I, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to spoil the ending. How many of you hate it when your friends spoil the ending of movies, you know, and they like tell you like, ah, I didn't want to know. I, I like in, in your situation, like I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but I do want to say this, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. I'll take it a step further. Your best days are still in front of you. And, and if you're here today and you're just in the thick of it, I want to say for you, your best days are in front of you. The best days for your spiritual life are in front of you. The best days for your marriage are in front of you. The best days for your relationship might still be in front of you. Your best days for your relationship with your children, I want to say, is in front of you. I want you to think about this for a second. Your best day hasn't happened yet. It hasn't. I don't care if you're 11 years old. Or 70 years old based on the authority of the Word of God your best day hasn't happened yet and I'm saying that in the, phys in the physical sense 
but I can guarantee it in the eternal sense. There's this little place called heaven. Your best days haven't happened yet. Let's do something real quick. How many, try not to cheat here, but shout out at me for just a second. I'm gonna hold this up for a minute. All right, anybody wanna guess how much this weighs? Just shout out at me. We're good. 10 pounds, all right, we got 10 pounds, all right. 15 pounds, five pounds, I'm hearing five, five pounds, two pounds, okay. Some of you are cheating, I'm trying to cover it up. Yeah. The reality is this, from my perspective, the weight of this is, is somewhat irrelevant. It really depends on how long I have to hold it. To hold it for a minute or two like this, yeah, it'd be fairly easy. If I had to try to hold this for an hour, my arm might start to ache. And if I was forced to hold it like this for a day, my arm would most likely cramp, start feeling completely numb, and go to some form of paralyzation. <laughs> eventually, eventually, if you guys had enough time, there would come a moment where this would drop. Not because I want it to, not because I intend for it to happen. It's gonna drop. And so often when we carry things, when it drops, we hurt the people that are closest to us. We drop it on their hearts. We drop it on their dreams. We drop it on their desires. We drop it on their hopes. We drop it on their insecurities. And it's not because we want to. But there comes a moment when we hold it long enough You see, the weight of the burden that you're holding is not as relevant as how long you're forced to hold it. There are some of you, and you, you're, people look at you and like, I don't understand, that's not even a big deal. <laughs> like, okay, you know, like it's, it's two pounds. But you've been holding it for decades. Not as much about how big or small that trial, that difficulty that you're holding on to. It's like how, how long have you been forced to hold it? You see, some of you, somebody comes along and they're like, here, they do something, they say something, and it's like, okay, hold it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I want to, I'm trying to, but I'm only so strong. You ever been there? Sometimes the choices that you've made, there are consequences and now you have to bear the weight of your own choices. 
and those consequences are heavy. You ever been there? And you're like, God, I want to bear the consequences of my decision. I get that I have to hold this. But like, how? Sometimes, all of a sudden, before we know it, we have things, and it's like, I don't, I can't. <laughs> I'm really starting to look weak up here. I feel bad. Like, this is not very impressive. I'm like, ah. It doesn't matter how long, eventually, we don't take our burdens. There's going to come a moment where they're going to drop. Do you know what God says to do? He says in re instead of dropping them in ways that will hurt the things around you, you can't hold it. That's really not an option. It just isn't. You can do it for a while. Willpower, you can, you can do it for a little while. You will. Somebody does something to you. Somebody says something to you. Like willpower, you can, you can willpower it depending on the situation, depending on how big the situation is, you know. You'll willpower your way through it for a while because, you know, you have character and, and, you, and you, you really are trying. You're, you know, good Christians, so that's like what good Christians do, right? And, and so you're, hol you're holding on to it. Uh, eventually, though, you're going to have to make a choice. Do I drop it and do I hurt all these people around me or do I say, God... You've got to take it. I'm casting it. I'm replacing it through prayer and thanksgiving so that my anxiety can return to peace. You're either going to drop it or you're going to cast it, but you can only hold on to it for so long. What are you going to do? When it comes to suffering, when it comes to difficulty, when it comes to problems, you'll hold it for a while because you have to. But there comes a time when the choice has to be made. Do I drop it or do I cast it? That's the question. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who experience the hope that is found in your grace. Lord, I know all of us have a heart to cast these things on you. But Lord, I pray that we would see you as being big enough and strong enough to handle the most difficult of situations. And may you show your grace to be sufficient.